Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Wednesday, June the 26th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we go back to the face of the franchise series. We've covered the four top guys in depth. I'll tell you who else you should keep an eye on this college football season. Plus, when was the last time the Dolphins had a player who was the best at his position in the NFL? We'll explore that and answer your questions via the Twitter mailbag. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Tuned In, wherever you get your podcasts. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review the show. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins. And you can find our written content up on LockedOnDolphins.com, including the piece on the rest of the rest in the face of the franchise series with videos of all these quarterbacks. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Let's go. That's another Miami Dolphins. So this topic was conjured up in part by thinking about the lack of offensive weapons that have been scattered across this franchise over the last couple of decades, but maybe even going back further. So I wanted to think about what this team's makeup and what this team's identity has been over the last two decades, even though there hasn't been a whole lot of success in terms of playoff success and winning seasons, basically since the end of the Dave Wanstead era. And I got to thinking about which players at their positions were the best in the NFL. When was the last time the Dolphins had a superstar who was above the rest of his peers at his position? And I think the last possible time we can go back to and consider a player was best at his position in the league was 2015, and that's where we start with Rashad Jones' 2015 season, his only Pro Bowl campaign where he should have been an All-Pro, maybe even Defensive Player of the Year candidate, but had to beg his way, basically, by promoting himself on social media into the Pro Bowl, and he eventually got that because of a lack of name recognition, but the guy had five interceptions, he had two sacks, 135 total tackles that season, nine behind the line of scrimmage, TFLs. He had two touchdowns. He was second in football in total tackles. That's not just for safeties. That was the entire defensive NFL that season. The next safety on the list was seventh best in tackles. The rest of the guys on that list, obviously linebackers. He was second among strong safeties and interceptions. And I think he was, in fact, the best safety in the National Football League that year, especially for strong safety. So I'll say 2015 Rashad Jones was the last time the Dolphins had a player who was best at his position. And you go back beyond that, it gets pretty difficult to find another one at that level of Rashad. The next possibility, if you ask me, comes in 2012 with Cam Wake. There's a stat up on Pro Football Reference called Approximate Value, where they take every statistic and every impact on the game you can imagine and bunch it into one number to give these guys a, a number, kind of like war in baseball, I think. And this was the highest av- or approximate value, the highest AV of Cam Wake's career at 17. He had 15 sacks, 33 quarterback hits, and three forced fumbles. 
But J.J. Watt was in the middle of his prime that year with 20 and a half sacks and 43 QB hits. So no dice there for Cam Wake in 2012. And then the last one behind that, you have to go back to 2008, I think. And Jake Long, the number one draft pick in the NFL that season, the Dolphins' last division championship and second to last playoff appearance. Jake Long, the left tackle, was arguably up there with Joe Thomas as the best in the game. I don't really want to argue one way or the other who was a better performer at left tackle that particular season. Now we know Joe Thomas went on to have a far superior career to Jake Long, but Jake Long came in right away from day one and was a hit at left tackle. Of course, injuries robbed the rest of his career, but I think that's probably the last option the Dolphins have for best player on the offensive side of the football at his position in the league and you go back to 2006 and this one is definitive Jason Taylor was the defensive player of the year in 2006 I don't think there should be any argument about this this one is absolute inarguable Jason Taylor was the best defensive end in football in 2006 before that I wanted to find out which of Zach Thomas's seasons were best and the two that I got back 2006 was in there, but obviously he can't have that over Jason Taylor, who was the defensive player of the year. 2003 was up there, and that was Zach's second highest approximate value of his career. But Ray Lewis in his prime that time as well had a 20 approximate value higher than Zach Thomas's. So we go back to the next offensive player on this list. It's 2002, Ricky Williams' first year in Miami when it was well worth the trade at that point of the calendar. He led the league in rushing with 1,853 yards, and that came on 4.8 yards per carry. He was second in touchdowns to Priest Holmes, who had 21 compared to Ricky's 16, and Priest Holmes had 5.2 yards per carry, but he had 50 fewer carries. That's why Ricky got him in the total rushing yards that season, the rushing crown in 2002. Priest Holmes played just 14 games. Ricky played in all of them, but Ricky had seven fumbles to Priest Holmes as one. And that last number to me decides the argument. I was going to go with Ricky until I saw that fumble number, but really technically it's either or, but I think Ricky Williams 2002 is the last legitimate argument you can make for a Dolphin skill player being the best at his position in the NFL. And one more mention that goes back into the Dan Marino era, which we can get into about Marino being the best quarterback for several years of his career. But this one goes back to Zach Thomas, who I told you had an AV of 19 in 2003. Check that. It was 17 in 2003. 1998, Zach's approximate value from pro football reference was 19. He had three interceptions that led all linebackers in the NFL. He was fifth in the league in tackles that year. He picked up two sacks and two forced fumbles, and he scored a pair of touchdowns. He has many arguments for the best linebacker in football, but I think this year, this 1998 season is pretty inarguable. Derek Brooks was up there as well, but Zach just produced on another level that season, his real true breakout season as a Miami Dolphin. So for me, if we go back to 1998, and that's not really a specific cutoff, it's just where I stopped doing it. Like I said, Dan Marino would be up there for several years in the 80s and 90s as well. So you go back over the last several years, I think 2015 Rashad Jones, 2008 maybe with Jake Long, 2006 with Jason Taylor, and then 2002 with Ricky Williams, and 1998 with Zach Thomas. The last four times out of the last 20-something years, the Dolphins had a player who was the best at his position in the NFL. And the reason for this entire segment was born out of my plea that the Dolphins do find an offensive showstopper, that elite player at the skill positions. It just hasn't happened in far too long since 2002 that a skill player was the best in the business. And frankly, 
outside of Marino throughout various points of his career, I'm not sure if it has happened at all since the 1972 team with Larry Sanka, and even that could be argued. So this team needs a star offensive player in the worst way. It's been far too long. We need someone who can be relied upon on third down to move the chains and score touchdowns and command the respect of every single player on the defensive side of the football. It has been far too long. All right, we're going to come back on the other side and wrap up the face of the franchise series with the best of the rest. And I've got to say, I'm pretty damn excited about this crop of college quarterbacks. And if that doesn't get you excited, then my friends, I need to tell you all about Blue Chew. Listen up, guys. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work like Ricky Williams on a third down and short in 2002. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy, and right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E, Chew.com, promo code locked on to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. It is officially softball night, I hope been a long time since I got a chance to play and I hope my team shows up this time with enough guys with an opponent that has enough players to make things happen but that's not what you guys are here for I want to jump back into the face of the franchise series as part number five is done it is published up on LockedOnDolphins.com and the reason I've been so adamant about talking about these quarterback prospects is the truth is Josh Rosen has to be really 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 damn good to thwart the Dolphins' efforts to draft a potential competitor for the quarterback job in 2020. This draft class is just too much. It's too exciting. There's too many unique skill sets. And frankly, too many guys that I think check a lot of the boxes the Dolphins will be looking for at the position. We've already gone over to Otonga Vailoa, Jake Fromm, Justin Herbert, and Jordan Love. You guys can find those links up on LockedOnDolphins.com, as well as hyperlinked in this article called Face of the Franchise Series, Best of the Rest, taking a look at six other quarterbacks. And I want to start with the introduction because things have kind of changed in the National Football League. I don't know if it's more recent years or if I'm just paying closer attention now that it's more of a job than anything else. But it seems like every single year, some unknown dark horse comes from nowhere and gets himself into the conversation for a top three draft pick and the top quarterback selected. Each of the last three years, the quarterback taken first in the draft was a guy that nobody really had on their radar prior to that previous football season in college. You go last year with Kyler Murray, who we knew was a freak athletically, but he also had a contract with the Oakland A's. Baker Mayfield was more of a Heisman type of college style quarterback that no one really thought had the translatable skills to the NFL level. He soon 
Boone jumped over Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, and Josh Allen. You go back the year prior, Mitch Trubisky, his first year starting at North Carolina, earned him the second overall pick in the draft behind Miles Garrett. So this thing tends to have a unknown name pop up every single year, and I don't think it'll happen this year over Tungavailoa from Herbert and Jordan Love. But in case it does, I want to give you guys six names here to look out for, and we cover it up on LockedOnDolphins.com. First is the Houston dual-threat quarterback. Now, this guy, he gets a lot of benefit, a lot of push from the fact that Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield got drafted number one overall, the fact that Baker Mayfield's had success in one season, the fact that Russell Wilson's had success over multiple seasons as a bona fide established elite franchise quarterback. But I'm talking about Houston's Eric King. He goes five foot 11, 195 pounds, and he is super, super dynamic and fun to watch. He posted 50 total touchdowns last season, despite missing two and a half games with an ankle injury. Keep an eye on Houston as one of these group of five teams that has a quarterback that could get himself into first round consideration if he plays that way again in 2019. Up next, a more polished program, a more polished style quarterback in terms of pro style quarterbacking. KJ Costello from Stanford. He goes six foot five, 215 pounds, and he has a little bit of that dual threat in him as well. He's cerebral. He can process. He can get out of jams when the pressure gets in his face, but he does have some mechanical shortcomings and flaws that make me a little bit nervous. Now, of course, he could take another jump this season, just like he did last year from 2017, but it's going to have to be a significant climb in the mechanical portion of the game for him to garner first round draft pick consideration. This next guy is my favorite of this bunch of the best of the rest. That's why he is the featured image on the article. Arizona's Khalil Tate. He had a huge down year. Let me go back to his size. He goes six foot two, 216 pounds. He'll be a senior this year. He had a big down year in 2018 from efficiency metrics. After starting about half the season in 2017 under Rich Rodriguez, he comes back in Kevin Sumlin's offense. And I actually bet on his first game of the season, taking Arizona to cover a spread against BYU. And Arizona got thrashed in that game. And part of that was because they didn't want Khalil Tate leaving the pocket. Why? It beats the hell out of me. He's one of the dynamic threats in college football, the way De'Eric King was, is the way Kyler Murray was. And I think Khalil Tate can get back to some of that style of football. And he also is effective as a traditional drop back quarterback as well. You just can't take away the most explosive element of his game. But I think Khalil Tate has a chance if someone can take the handcuffs off him to jump up the draft board and get more national recognition like he had in 2017. Up next, a guy that I'm not a huge fan of. One, because he plays for my rival school. Two, I think he's probably a little bit less polished in terms of statistical prowess, uh, evidence by film, and the fact that I just don't see the rare talent jumping off the page like a five-star recruit would suggest. I'm talking, of course, about Jacob Eason from Washington. He's six foot six, 230 pounds, but he's a little bit long, a little bit gangly, but he is accurate. He has ideal size for the position. I just am worried about a guy that skipped two years of football during his formative years as a late teen, early 20-year-old player, and that could have a big impact on him. We'll see how he bounces back this year, but I do trust Chris Peterson at UW to get him playing within the scheme and within the structure of the offense because Chris Peterson is probably the most underrated coach in the entire country. Up next, 
Texas is Sam Ellinger. He goes six foot three, 235 pounds. He is a junior, but he has the athletic build, kind of like Josh Allen, just not quite as tall, but he can run the football. He's a threat to score on the ground on any given play. And it does cover up some of the mechanical issues and arm talent shortcomings he has, but he got better as the year went on. And if he can continue that trajectory to vault his draft stock beyond day three prospect, that's certainly a possibility as well. And then last, and I kind of forced this guy on the list to give myself 10. There's other guys that are honorable mention that could jump up here as well, but I'm just not as high on them or I just haven't seen enough of them. But I went ahead and threw Brian Lewerke, the Michigan State senior, after a horrific, don't get this twisted, horrible, terrible junior season in 2018. In 2017, he dazzled. He was fantastic. And it culminated in a game, in a bowl game, where he thrashed my Washington State Cougars, go Cougs, at the Holiday Bowl because he was just beating him with his legs, with his processing, with his arm, with his accuracy. But last season was an unmitigated disaster. And he has to rebound back to that 2017 form to even be considered an NFL quarterback at this point. So those are my six. The honorable mention guys I have are Bryce Perkins from Virginia. Nathan Stanley from Iowa, who frankly I'm not a fan of at all, and Cole McDonald from Hawaii. Those guys have a chance to get themselves drafted as well. And I think that if expectations play out the way this season that we all think they will, the Dolphins are going to be back in business for a quarterback in next year's draft class to compete with Josh Rosen. And because of that, we're going to have a strong, strong focus on college quarterbacking all year long on LockedOnDolphins.com with a weekly article recapping each of these guys' performances from the previous Saturday. So as always, Locked On Dolphins has you guys covered at the college professional level and everything in between with all things football, all things Miami Dolphins. And speaking of that, why don't we go ahead and get to my top 10 prospects heading into the season. You just heard all their names, but I'll go ahead and stack them in an order because that's what everybody wants, right? We want lists, we want rankings, we want to know who's the best, who's the worst, and who falls in between. Number one, I went with Jordan Love. I just think that the high, the ceiling and the upside for him is greater than Tua Tungavailoa, even though I think the world of Tungavailoa, Jordan Love, if he puts it all together, could be a special, special quarterback. And based upon the way I saw him process in the few games I watched on YouTube and going back to last season, I think there's potential for him to do that and become that guy. And so I'm very high on Jordan Love. Tua Tungavailoa is number two. I've got Jake Fromm, number three, because of the cerebral aspect, the leadership, and the accuracy he displays. Number four, I kind of want to knock him down the list because I just don't see it outside of the physical traits, which are eye-popping. But Justin Herbert comes in at number four. Number five, I'm going back to the physical traits with Khalil Tate and following him up at number six with Houston's to Eric King. Number seven, KJ Costello. Number eight, Jacob Beeson. Number nine, Brian Lewerke, because I'm still clenching onto that one. And number 10, Texas is Sam Ellinger. You guys can find that list and the entirety of the article and the entirety of the series up on LockedOnDolphins.com. All five pieces live for you guys on the website. We're going to come back on the other side of the podcast and talk about your Twitter questions and answer them here on the podcast. We'll do that next. Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Training camp is officially less than a month away. And we're going to have you guys covered leading up to training camp and through training camp. We'll have the roster preview series where I go through every single player on this roster in what I think is a 10 or 11 part series by position, tell you about their strengths and weaknesses, whether or not they're going to make the football team and what their impact is going to be on the football team. 
but we still have another month of content to get to before that, and that's going to include plenty of your mailbag questions. You guys know the drill by now. I put the call out on Twitter. You respond. We answer the podcast answer the question on the podcast at some point during the week and give you a Twitter shout out as well. And we start here with newly minted Rockies fan, which is BS. You should be a Mariners fan still. I was just at a Mariners game with this guy. He's at Noah's a dork on Twitter. Take us through your Dolphins memorabilia that is most meaningful to you. And the truth is, I really don't have a whole lot that I care a whole bunch about. I used to be a big-time jersey collector. I've got all kinds of bobbleheads and little toys and some football cards here and there. But memorabilia just isn't that big of a deal to me. If I had to pick, I would say my Ricky Williams painting, my action painting I have that I'm pretty sure I've shown everybody on Twitter multiple times. It's a thing of beauty, the stiff arm against the Jets back in 2002, I think it was, on a touchdown run. And I also have my entire credential and play card sheet, or a roster sheet, I should say, from the press box last season. Those two things are very valuable to me, especially the Patriots one from the Miami Miracle. I'm going to get that framed. I just still haven't done it yet, but that one's probably number one on the list. Next question comes from JT Evans, at JT underscore Evans 97. If you could only pick one for Miami to land in the next two years, which would you choose? An elite defense with depth or a gunslinging top 15 quarterback? That's a very difficult question because the quarterback seems like the obvious answer, but give me the defense because you can stay in football games with the defense. And then if you have that and you can drop the quarterback in like the Seahawks did in 2013, you have a chance to become an elite dominant type of dynasty that they were for a couple of years there. And if you have a great quarterback, we've seen what that can happen with Aaron Rodgers where you get one ring out of it. The Seahawks probably should have two rings because of that defense and a good quarterback. So give me the elite defense because you're closer that way to finding the quarterback and becoming a dominant dynasty type of team. Give me the defense there on that one. Next one here is a very tough question. Comes in from TJ Brackeen at TJ Brackeen on Twitter. Which would you prefer a Super Bowl win with Josh Rosen and continued success or a 2020 quarterback Super Bowl win and continued success there? That's a loaded question. I don't care. Either one's fine with me. I just want to see this team win and get back to prominence. I don't have individual preferences or guys that I like over the other. I guess the smart answer or the obvious answer would be the, uh, the other quarterback just because my evaluations and it makes me look smarter. But frankly, I'm not that worried about looking smart because in this game, if you get half of them right, you're still pretty smart. So I, give me either one. Doesn't really matter. Next question comes from Manuel Mendoza at History Nerd 10. Travis, knowing what you know now, who would you take, Minka Fitzpatrick or Derwin James and why? Give me Derwin James just because I think he's the better player. I think he has higher upside. And while he maybe isn't on the level of Minka from a preparation and intellect standpoint, his athletic skill set and versatility is so unique and so rare. And that's why he was the number one player on my draft board last year. And he flashed that. He earned all pro honors. Minka Fitzpatrick is fantastic and going to be an elite player. So you can't go wrong either way. But I'm just going to stick by my pre-draft evaluation that Derwin James will have the better career. But I think both guys are going to be pro bowlers for a long time to come next question here from aaron Stra uh, aaron stafford at staff 23 give me your favorite all-time random a not well-known dolphin on offense and a dolphin on defense aaron's are aubrey beavers and irving spikes those are definitely some random names and I don't know if these guys are considered that random, but I'm going to go on offense with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the running back from the mid to late 90s, because 
That was when I really started getting into the Dolphins. And that was back in the day when running backs kind of ruled the roost in the NFL. You'll recall like Christian Okoye on Tecmo Super Bowl, or even obviously Bo Jackson was one of those guys. Barry Sanders was hot on the scene at the time. And it was more luck. It was more prestigious, I guess would be the word to be a running back, like in my little league football back in the day at grid kids, because those guys got the ball every time. So running backs was the name of the game. So give me Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on offense. Plus that name. How can you not love that? Given the Lakers superstar on defense, I'm going to go with just a random one off the top of my head. Travis Daniels, the cornerback from the 2005 Dolphins. He was a draft pick of Nick Saban. Saban developed him, turned him into a good player, and then Saban left, and so did Travis Daniels, and he was basically never heard from again. So Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on offense, Travis Daniels on defense. This one comes in from Tone Toto at Tone Lantern. In your opinion, which player was better in their prime, Jason Taylor or Cam Wake? Love the podcast. Looking forward to LOD podcast on the Finns Super Bowl victory in three years. I love the optimism. And that would be great both as a Dolphins fan and for the podcast and the, let's be honest, the money bags that come with the podcast. But as far as which player was better in their prime, I'm going to have to say Jason Taylor. Cam Wake was always elite as a pass rusher. He was pretty good and run defense at times. Jason Taylor, I thought was just dominant at everything he did. Plus when he got it cranked up, he was unstoppable as a pass rusher coming off the quarterback's blind side. And he made more turnovers happen, more interceptions because of hits to the quarterback, more forced fumbles, and he scored more touchdowns, just a bigger impact player. 200 sacks is difficult to ignore. He's going to, he's already in Canton. I don't know if Cam Waite gets in. I think he should, but I think Jason Taylor is the obvious answer there. Let's do one more question here that we're going to come back with the rest of the mailbag on the rest of the week here. We do have some guests coming up in the next couple of days in the Locked On Dolphins podcast, so we'll have that, but we'll get to the rest of these questions throughout the course of the week. This one comes in from Travis Moore. He's at Moore for me. Favorite sports to watch outside of the big four, football, basketball, baseball, hockey. This part of the summer always drags, but the only thing on is midseason baseball and some big track meets. So looking for a way to preoccupy my athletics cravings for a couple more months. Well, the bad side is, is that soccer's over right now too. Like the two months of the year, they don't play soccer. That's my probably third favorite sport. I think basketball is approaching getting back in there. I talked about it on the podcast before. Soccer really fell out of favor with me when the United States national team did not qualify for the World Cup for the first time in my lifetime. That was a big kick in the nads. And I really got into soccer back at the end of the Joe Philbin era when, like you, I was looking to satisfy my sports cravings because the Dolphins were just not doing it for me at the time. So I really got into soccer. I was really into FIFA, really into the U.S. men's national team, and really into Liverpool with Daniel Sturridge and Raheem Sterling and all those boys. But I think soccer is the obvious answer. But the rest of the sports, I mean, I don't watch track. I don't I really don't care for like the Olympics or extreme sports. So I guess I'm just going to go ahead and say soccer. And that's pretty much it. We do have the gold cup going on right now. So you can watch the U S men's national team in the gold cup, but they're playing a bunch of lower end countries lower down the FIFA world rankings there, but they do need to find a way to get themselves to finish high in that tournament, preferably win it. I think it would be a good step going forward to get back into the good graces of soccer fans in America. All right, guys, that is going to do it for my time today. Like I talked about, we're going to have Joe Blewett, one of the great film breakdown uh, people on Twitter when it comes to the New York Jets football team. He's a great podcaster as well. So we'll have him on the podcast tomorrow. We're going to have Mark Schofield. You guys have heard him from Locked On Patriots on the show Friday to wrap up the NFL preview of the rest of the teams, the National Football 
Football League. We've got the training camp preview coming down the pipeline. We're going to talk more about predictions for the season, for stats, for the entire NFL predictions, Super Bowl picks, all that fun stuff. It's the time of year where we get to kind of freelance with our content. And so we'll do that to finish out the summer here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. But as for today's show, I'm going to go ahead and dip out. But before I do, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a review, and check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter, at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up. Peace.